Day number nine, John chapter nine. <laughs> Very quickly, and uh, I probably will take uh, a testimony at the end of the teaching. John chapter nine, verse one. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And to do that justice, I need to go back to John chapter 8, almost like what we did last night, to show you what Jesus did and how he ministered and how we should take a cue and learn from him. John chapter 8, verse 58. At the end of the chapter there, Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I said to you, before Abraham was, I am. Wow. Now, for that audience that day, there was no doubt the message that Jesus was giving them. They knew exactly what he was saying. Verse 59. Then they took up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Now, he made a proclamation. He said something to them and immediately they knew this man was equating himself to be God. And that incensed them. They wanted to stone him to death. And he escaped. Chapter 9 verse 1 now. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him saying, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? Now, it's interesting that in John chapter 8, in verse 12, the Bible says Jesus made a declaration that I am the light of the world. Whosoever follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So for that crowd, for those religious leaders, it was showing them how much darkness was upon them, because for them, their only important thing was, to, uh, was the issue of Sabbath, regardless of what Jesus did. And towards the end, as we just read here, they wanted to stone him and kill him, and he escaped. And he came back in John chapter 9, and he, on his own initiative, goes and finds someone in need. The blind man did not come to Jesus. Jesus found him. Jesus discovered him. So right off the bat in John chapter 9, the first thing we are seeing here is, if you have a need, if you are in distress of any kind, or if you are in depression, perhaps, the 10 steps to recovery. Number one, go and find somebody that's suffering from the same thing you are and reach out to them. Number two, repeat step number one and do it again and again and again and again. That's it. You see, Jesus could have just gone into hiding and begin to just complain and murmur and just wonder how come these guys have come to help will not receive my help and just major on all of those things. No, no, but he didn't do that. Immediately, he went and searched out for someone who needed his ministry. Your recovery begins when you're giving up what God's placed on in you already. Huge. That's what Jesus did. Whatever your needs are, whatever the area where you have uh, some challenge or some issue, you find someone prayerfully find someone who is going through something that you can render assistance. You sow that seed into that person's life and you watch God multiply back into your life. Amen? Amen. Now, 
Verse 2. The disciples were asking Jesus, who sinned? Because of all the miracles that Jesus did, in particular, the opening of blind eyes, this is the only instant where the man was blind from birth. In the other instances, they had been able to see and they lost their sight. In this case, however, the man was born blind. So the disciples wanted to know because there was a general Jewish uh, conjecture about this kind of a thing. So they wanted to know, in this case, Rabbi, Jesus, who sinned? Is it this man who was born blind or was it his parents? And I think I need to take a pause here and address this too because... Okay, let me explain it first and then I'll address it. There were two schools of thought among the Jewish people. Number one, they believed in what they called prenatal sins. And they got that out of the scriptures in Genesis 25 when inside of Rebekah, Jacob and Esau were struggling. So they said, perhaps during the fight in the womb, or if it's a single birth, maybe the infant in the womb was doing something while they were inside the womb, and then, of course, when they were born, the consequence of their sin or the action came upon them. They held on to that. And then, second of all, you are familiar with the scripture in Exodus chapter 20, in verse 5 and 6, that talks about how God visits the iniquities of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation. How many people are familiar with that scripture? You've seen it. Good. So there was that belief that perhaps either of those two scenarios may have been what contributed to this man's uh, being blind. Let me address the second part first before I say something else. Go with me to Ezekiel chapter 18. And many, many, many a deliverance ministry has made a lot of fame and money from Exodus 20. Hello? Now there is a place for deliverance. Okay? But if you were to look at this congregation tonight, and if God indeed was visiting the iniquities of the fathers to the third and fourth generation, we're all in bad shape. Because every person here, that, especially of African descent, you have a father, a mother, an uncle, an aunt, who had a shrine that had a shrine that had a shrine that had a shrine that had a shrine. Yes, sir. I mean, you're all looking good now. You're well-dressed and look very civilized. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> Praise God. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me again, saying, What do you mean when you use this proverb concerning the land of Israel? Saying, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. Verse 3. As I live, says the Lord God, you shall no longer use this proverb in Israel. Verse 4, behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father, as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul whose sins shall die. Verse 20, same chapter, verse 20. Ezekiel 18. The soul whose sins shall die. Now look at what it says. The Son shall not bear the guilt of the Father, nor the Father bear the guilt of the Son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. As a born-again believer, I refuse 
to accept the guilt of whatever happened before me. Many ministries, even as we speak, are using Exodus 20. The fear of ascensional worship and all the things that's happened. You have a headache, they say maybe your mother went to see a witch doctor. You don't get a job, they say your father did this. This happened, I mean, we, we just, we rope things in that God has delivered us from for a long time ago. You see? In, in, really, if you really want to read more, I don't have time to read a lot more. Ezekiel chapter 33, the whole chapter deals with this. The entire chapter 33 of Ezekiel deals with this. It talks about individual responsibility for individual sins. Amen? Amen. So I brought this in because there are some of us here, maybe you're in, transi- you're in transition, you're looking for a job or, or something's happened to you, you've had some issues that's happened, and somebody's telling you it's because of your mother, your father, your auntie, and your God. It's a lie. Amen. Amen. You need to allow the scriptures to be the final arbiter and authority over your life. And stop listening to all these fables and tales that puts men in bondage. Amen? So Jesus answered the question in verse 3. Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Okay? I must walk the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can walk. Now, in chapter 8 of John, we saw Jesus revealing the blindness of the Jewish leaders. But in chapter 9, we're about to see him now heal blindness. Because in verse 5, he says to us, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. And it is amazing to me, when you read this entire chapter 9, to see the progression of the blindness that needed to be healed. First, you have the blind man himself who was blind. Then you'll see in a few minutes his neighbors who after he was healed and they saw the man's eyes opened while still persisting and said, how did it happen? What happened to you? Then you see his parents who gave birth to him, who knew for sure that he was blind at birth. When they got before the Pharisees out of fear, they couldn't take a position. And then of course you have the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders themselves, all of them blind. Not physically, so, but blind nonetheless. Now, why is this miracle so important in the life of Jesus? Why was it important? Let's go to Psalms 146. Psalms 146. Keep in the background of your mind that at the end of chapter 8, Jesus declared his deity. Before, before Abraham was, I am. He made it clear to them, I am God. So this chapter 9, he needed to corroborate, to authenticate the statement he just made. Okay? Psalms 146, in verse 8, the Bible says, The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. And again, in Isaiah chapter 35, Isaiah chapter 35, in verse 5, talking about the ministry of the Messiah when he comes. He says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. In other words, in these two passages, we see the prophetic 
uh, proclamation of the ministry of the Messiah when he comes. The Lord will open the blind eyes. So, the Jewish leaders knew that. They understood those scriptures. They knew that only God can do what Jesus was about to do. There was no question about that. Okay? So, knowing that, and the fact that Jesus wanted to prove himself correct from what happened in John chapter 8, he set out to minister healing to this guy who was born from birth. Verse 6. Now let's look at what happened. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay, and he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Whoa! How many of you want healing in this manner? Not too many of us, I'm sure. There are four things we can see from what Jesus did here. Number one, he ministered to this guy medicinally. You, you want to wonder why will he use clay and spit? And this is important for us to grasp. Jesus knew the, he had an understanding of the norm of the day. To me and you, it's very strange. You talk about spit and saliva. Ooh, that's gross. But in that setting, Back in that time, it was common practice. They believed there were medicinal values to the spit, in particular of prophets or anointed people. I see the front row is very clear here. Nobody wants to. <laughs> so, so Jesus, in introducing spit and clay, knew that for the man that he was about to minister to, there was a certain level of confidence from the guy to receive what he was about to do. In the same way as if you and I went to the doctor and the doctor prescribed a medicine, more than likely, if you had confidence in that prescription, you will use it. But if you don't have confidence in it, you just shelf it. Or you might tell the doctor, I don't like this medication, I prefer this. Why? Because for some reason, oh, Sister Shadi, it's good to see you in your uniform. Praise God. Stand up, let me see you again. Amen. Oh, no, I want to give you a salute. Come on. Amen. Praise God. I've been, I've been longing to see her in that. Amen. God answered my prayer today. Hallelujah. Praise God. Yes. So the first lady was ministered to him medicinally. And I want you to understand that. God is aware of the various means of bringing forth healing. You could do it by prayer. You could do it through the gifts of the Spirit. You could anoint the person with oil. And you can use medicine. But the important thing here is, whatever the avenue, it's not the medicine. It's not the prayer. It's not the laying out of hands. It's not the oil, but God walking through those instruments. So I want you to know tonight, if you're here and you're using medicine, or you are believing God in prayer, you need to understand that God works in any of all, all of these avenues, a combination or any of them to bring about his purpose. It's yes. not the instruments, but the fact that he, God, is the one walking in and through it. Amen? Amen? Secondly, what he did was symbolic. Not only was it medicinal, but it was also symbolic. Why? Notice what Jesus did. We are told that this guy was born from blind from birth. 
So if he was to see, he just does not need only a healing miracle. He needs a creative miracle. When man was made originally in Genesis, how was he made? Clay and dust. So Jesus wanting to show those audience that he is the creator. He is the one that did it in the beginning. He is the one that will do it now. He is the one that will do it in the future. He said, I will employ what I used from the very beginning. Amen. Amen. Mix clay together with his own spit. Yes. That spit will almost be like the breath of God into Adam. Yes. Divine equation of spit yes. and clay together. Yes. And then rubbed on the man's face. So we see the medicinal value of what he did. We see the symbolic value of what he did. And then we see the practicality of what he also did. What do I mean, what do I mean by that? I told you that already we know that you could lay hands and bring healing forth. We could uh, pray. We could anoint with oil. We could use medicine. God wanted to be sure that he was not in a box. We have denominations today in my homeland who because at some time God had worked healing through uh, people drinking water that had healing virtues in one instant. The entire denomination now, they cannot pray for healing unless you drink water. So we have a whole denomination that's built around water drinking for healing. You follow what I'm saying? Now that's just one instant. That's just one denomination. That's just one example. But the point here being, Jesus wanted to be as practical as possible. He did not want to have to put God in a box to say, well, you did it this way. This is the only way that healings will take place or this is the only way to happen. It's not just by laying out of hands or taking medicine or, 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 or praying or whatever. He wanted to show us that he did not have to do the same miracle twice the same way. Yes. What is practical for the occasion? What is realistic for that, that moment in time? That's what he did. Amen? Now, the last point I want to make on this one. If you are the blind man, just have sockets in your eyes, in your face, or whatever, whatever the guy had. It's almost even difficult to conceal. And Jesus picks you out for a miracle. Spits, mix the clay, and put the paste on your eyes. Already you can see. All right. And then he says to you, go wash at the pool of Siloam, which is about 700 yards from the place where they were standing. What do you think the guy's motivation was in that instant? Do you really think, do you really think the, 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 the issue for him was healing or perhaps the irritation that the clay was in his eyes? Are you following what I'm saying? If I was to put a piece of clay in your eyes right now, bro, uh, Greg, would you need any motivation to wash it off? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. The irritation from the grain of the clay in your eyes, in your socket, will be enough motivation to get you moving to go to the pool and go wash it off. The point here being, there are irritations in our lives that are there so that we can get the motivation we need to get up from where we are, to move to another place, to do something else, to, to change something about our lifestyle, not because we're just even believing God for healing or relief, but because, man, this thing is painful. I don't like this stuff in my face. I need to wash it off. So for the blind man, yes, he wanted healing, obviously. He wanted to be able to see. 
But beyond that, there was something that's driving him. He needed to get this grain out of his eyes. Because you can just imagine a blind man he's never seen before. Now you tell him to go to pull Siloam. Where in the heck is pull Siloam? How does it get there? So if Jesus just merely said to him, go to the pool to wash without the clay, he may have just lingered a little bit. I'll go tomorrow. After all, my condition has not changed. I was blind yesterday. I'm still blind now. I'll be blind tomorrow. One more day won't hurt. But with the grain in his eyes, man, uncle, sister, brother, please lead me to the pool. I need to get this stuff off my eyes. There are times in our lives when God gets us desperate. Because when you become desperate, you get motivation to get up and do things you otherwise not do. So Jesus ministered to him medicinally, symbolically, practically, and then he put an irritation in his life to cause him moving faster than he normally would have moved. Now, verse 8, John chapter 9. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? Some said this is he, others said he's like him. He said, I am he. Therefore they said to him, How were your eyes opened? And he answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. Then they said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. Now take note what he's saying. They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. (laughs) Because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was a division among them. You know, I know we all know how ridiculous these Pharisees are about the Sabbath day. But just today, as I was just getting ready for this, it just occurred to me, even though I, I knew this, and I'm sure you know this as well, but it just occurred to me what was really at stake. You see, under the law, anyone who violated the Sabbath was punishable by death. Think about that. Secondly, if these Pharisees had been able to pin that violation on Jesus, do you know the consequence of that? No, I don't think you know. Had they been able to sufficiently say, Jesus, you were in violation. You broke the law. Jesus would have been unfit to go to the cross. He would have been unfit to be our savior. Because one of the significant issues or points with him, the Bible tells us he was the great high priest. The Bible was very clear in Hebrews to say, yet he was without sin. So had he been a violator of the Sabbath, that would have been sinful. And therefore, disqualify him from going to the cross. Huge. They were looking for every and any means to say, this guy, you, are, you cannot be the Messiah. It's not possible. But Jesus addressed it, actually. In Mark chapter 2, he let them know that the Sabbath, the man was not made for the Sabbath, but rather the Sabbath for man. And then he said to them in John chapter 7, which we didn't read uh, the night before, uh, 
during the weekend, John chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, it made it very, very clear that he is Lord over the Sabbath. He had to explain himself. That was huge. He had to get, the, he had to get it across. He had to make the point that he was over the Sabbath. Because if he did not explain that, what would have happened was they wanted to bring so much discredit to him with those who were listening to him to say, you should, this guy, you should not listen to him. He violated the law of Moses and therefore has no credibility to do and to say the things he's doing. Amen? Good. I'm about to wrap it up now. Let's go back to John chapter 9, uh, verse 11. Let me just... I want us to see now in closing how this blind man's awareness of who Jesus is increased over time. And therefore help us to understand why we're doing what we're doing right now. This is huge. This is the bottom line of this entire chapter. When they first asked him in John 9, 11, who healed you? A man named Jesus. It was just a man. Later on, during his interrogation with the Pharisees, in John 9, 17, as they were grilling him, he said the man is a prophet. So Jesus was a man. To this blind man, he became a prophet as his awareness of Jesus increased. Of course, when he argued with the Pharisees enough and took his position and took his stand, they were asking him, how were you healed? Why do you believe this guy? He said, listen, all I know is I was once blind. Now I see. You guys go sort yourselves out with all your theology and all your theories. All I know is, listen, I was blind. Now I see. I mean, they grilled him and grilled him. And finally, they threw him out of the synagogue. We excommunicate you. Get out of here. Mm. And the next day, Jesus again. Remember? Jesus found him the first time. And this time again, he went and found him again. Yes. And as we've been saying over and over and over and over, look at John chapter 9, verse uh, 37. No, verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. Isn't that amazing? And I want to encourage you tonight. When you take a position for God, and men ostracize you and cast you out of their circles or their cliques. Don't you think that that's the end of it? Because Jesus was not there when they cast him out, but he heard. And because he heard, we are told, he went and found him. And he said to him, do you believe? Remember the recurring theme we've been hearing about believing, about believing? Do you believe in the son of God? He answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Now, isn't it amazing how Jesus is so, uh, it feels so, so at home to reveal himself to those that are really hungry? Yes. Those who are really simple and humble and hungry, he has no problem telling them, I'm he. But for those Pharisees who claim to sit at the table and know everything about God, he speaks to them in parables. Now, this is what I want to make. Verse 38. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. What do we see? Progression of three levels. A man, a prophet, 
the Son of God that's worthy of worship. What is he to you tonight? Is he just a great man? An ATM? You have a little card in your pocket? Put it in the ATM. You're a great man. I have a need. $10, $100, $200. That's one level. It's available. But as the man continuing in his awareness of who Jesus was, he saw Jesus in a greater dimension than just being a man. He said he's a prophet. He knows the man of God points at the future, speaks the forth the mind of God, and that's wonderful, that's great. But there are so many prophets. Yes, he was a man. Yes, he was a prophet. But finally, he came to the greatest dimension of revelation, that this is the son of God. And nobody had to tell him to worship. Intuitively, standing before his creator and his God, the Bible said he worshiped. And Jesus is spending 66 books of the Bible to teach me and you how to worship. How do you see him tonight? Because I'm telling you folks, the more of him you see, the more pale the things you're concerned about gets. Yes. Amen. They pale in comparison to who he is. Not silver, not gold, not diamonds, as good as they are. All of them pale in comparison. To catching a glimpse of who Jesus is. That's why David could say what he said. It's one thing that I, I uh, desire, and that will I say. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord my God all the days of my life. What? To behold his beauty. And that's what we are, that's the journey we are going. We want to get to see the radiance and the beauty of who he is. That's what happened to this blind man. Jesus became bigger and bigger in his life. And my prayer for all of us as we take this journey is that we will see Jesus in a greater dimension than how we've always known him. Amen? Hallelujah. Did you guys get anything out of this tonight? Last night after I finished, Brother Greg came to me and uh, shared with me what he saw from his perspective on John, in John chapter 8. So I just told him that I'll give him a chance to, to share that with the body. So Greg, if you just come for a couple of minutes. Good evening, everyone. Yeah. <clears throat> Yesterday's preaching, uh, Pastor said in two directions concerning what I'm going to try to explain. One, Jesus had to go to the mountain, a special place. And number two, he told the story about the pastor who went to bed and had something shaking him, waking him up, you know. And uh, while he did that, there was something going through my mind. When Jesus went to the Mount Olive, uh, I started thinking it, it's like most of you every one of us has some type of a tool including even men who shave you have a, a razor that you put back on the charger or you have a tool that you put on the charger after use so I started thinking it, it, when Jesus went to Mount Olives 
he went to recharge. It's, it's, it's like every one of us. When we use a tool all day, the next day, if you don't recharge, if you don't put that tool back on the charger, you won't be able to use it the next day. So uh, that, that was the revelation uh, that I had. Uh, that was equal to the pastor who, even though he was tired, he wanted to sleep, but how could he sleep when he had something to do the next day? What could have happened if he did not recharge himself? It could have been completely, I mean, like every other tool, uh, you wouldn't be able, he wouldn't be able to use himself. So that was my expression. Thank you, guys. Amen. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I think the reason the thing came, so, came home so powerfully in his in what he was sharing with me was because he is very handy. He's a handyman and he does all kinds of things. And he said to me, he said, Pastor, you know, I have all my tools and I can just imagine if I came home at the end of work one day and I didn't recharge those tools, tomorrow when I go back to work, I can't use the tools. I said, that's it. That's exactly what God is saying to us. We cannot keep on running on dry. We need to go back to the recharging station and get filled up again for the next time of ministry. And then get refills and refills and refills. And that's exactly that's what he wants to do with us. Because it's in those refill times, it lets you know what the agenda is for the next day. Yes. Amen? Amen? Father, we just want to thank you. God, like the blind man that we saw tonight in John chapter 9, we want to elevate our understanding and our awareness of who you are. We want to move from just seeing you as a man, and you are a man. We want to see you beyond just being a prophet, and you are indeed the prophet of prophets. But we want to see you and know you as the son of God, the creator of the universe, the author and the finisher, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the ending, the first and the last, that great God of the universe. And in so doing, come to a place of worship, of praise, of thanksgiving, of fellowship, of communion, where the deep calls upon the deep, where we receive uh, your agenda for the next day and the next day and the next day. And so, Father God, thank you for creating that hunger deep within us that only you can feel. We thank you for every man and every woman, Lord God, who may have some kind of affliction in their bodies tonight. We pray by the power of your spirit in Jesus' name that you are touching them right now. You are giving them wisdom in what to do to remedy that situation in their lives. And Lord, if anyone is being under this teaching, and they've been carrying the guilt and the shame of something that's happened in their family line over the years. We cut them loose from that false lies. In the name of Jesus. We plant their feet on the mountain of your inheritance among the saints. And we thank you for the power of the blood to transfer them from the kingdom of darkness and the belief system that goes along with that into the kingdom of their son. In the name of Jesus. We thank you, Father God. You've made yourself absolutely clear that the soul that sins shall die. And that the sins of the fathers shall not be placed on the son. And the sons of the sons shall not be placed on the fathers. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for bringing this clarity to us. We bless you. God, we thank you for the opportunity for ministry. That in our own needs, in our own time of distress, that our eyes will be open, will be sensitive 
to locate those that can receive or who needs the ministry that we carry. And we thank you for the grace to discharge that ministry, to be a blessing. And that in blessing them, we bless your name. Thank you, Father God. I pray for strength for the congregation. As we go through these days of fasting and affliction of our soul, Lord God, in Jesus' name, that will be renewed by the power of your spirit in our inner man. In the name of Jesus. Thank you for testimonies. We receive them now. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 See you guys tomorrow night. God bless you.